Sonic States Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk. Uh, this is episode 27. It's going to be going live on the 21st of December. Uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off um, over Christmas and we'll be back on the 11th of January. Um, so you'll just have to do without us for a little while. But uh, this week we've got a bumper crop because uh, we've got with us John Musgrave, uh, producer, engineer, programmer and uh, author, journalist. Hi, John. Good afternoon. Uh, we've got Mark Tinley once again. How are you doing, Mark? Hello, not bad. How's the French coming on? Mm, uh, I learned how to say that I am self-employed today, but uh, that'll be useful. I've actually forgotten what it was, oh, so not very well, really. What you need to do is take a simultaneous course in memory management as well, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and we've got Andy Jones back with us after a long break. How are you doing, Andy? Uh, I'm fine, yeah, thanks. Uh, we've got Dave Spears from G Media Music. Hi, Dave. Hello. And we've also got uh, Dave Robinson from ProSound News Europe. How are you doing, Dave? Hello, Robinson. I'm very well. Good, glad you could make it. I know everybody's kind of rushed back from boozy Christmas lunches and what have you to, to make it with us. I myself have just finished eating an enormous box of chocolates. And so if I have to dash off at any point, um, you'll have to understand why. Well, um, they have laxative qualities. Do they? Oh, dear. That's a bit of a problem for me because it's quite a long way to the... Uh, well, never mind. Let's not go there. That's Dave with it. Dave, uh, yeah. Dave is <laughs> amassing a large number of... I don't know if you listened last week, Dave Robinson, but... Um, Actually, uh, we had uh, the, the pleasure of listening to some Black Sabbath Mellotron tapes, and I'm sure you would appreciate it. I'm sure being oh. from the Midlands, Black Sabbath would mean a lot to you. Do you know what? I heard, um, I heard Paranoid the other night on um, some rock show uh, retrospective, and it's bloody awful, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's brilliant. <laughs> oh, no, he's out of tune, and, oh, it's just a terrible... It's just, it's just a terrible riff, and it's just... Oh... I don't know. I don't know how he's so famous. Probably because he swears a lot. Well, that could be it. <laughs> I think oh. Iron Man. I think Iron Man was worse than Paranoid. But I heard that because I actually um, went and obtained it from somewhere after after last week's podcast. And and the lyrical content and the music is so like naive and it's sort of like a whole bunch of teenagers pretending to be satanic, isn't it? Really, that's probably about right. Well, they probably were. thought, hey, oh, we're onto something here. We'll get some press if we talk about the devil. Is everybody still working, or have uh, anybody um, finished work for Christmas period yet? Working. 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 Looking after children. Trying to get some drinking in around the working. Oh, of course. We've been migrating our uh, computers at ProSound News Towers over to uh, OS Ten because we've been so far behind the rest of the world. And I know that it, it's forever an issue getting bits of software and music software to run on the dual processor Macs and whether it's more stable on a Mac or a PC. How unstable are Quark documents on OS X when there's no IT bloke about because he's gone on holiday? You know for well as soon as he walks in the room they'll work again though. Of course. So Quark is what you use for the layout of your Mac. So is it being delayed by IT issues or is it uh, all running smoothly? Well, no, I think it's, we're supposed to have stable machines but... Um, but no, that's not the way. What he actually meant was, you've got machines in the stable in a sort of nativity style. Oh, I see. I see what you've done there. <laughs> Angel Gabriel. Oh dear. Isn't a quark by its very nature unstable in the laws of physics? Yeah, There's no stopping right. here today, is any? Sorry, I'm just, I'm just on... It must be, I'm having a sugar rush, that's what it is. <laughs> SonicState.com Okay, well, we could get on with some other business. Um, not that there is very much of an agenda today, show. It's really more of a kind of... Um, a jolly kind of get-together um, to um, see if we can eke out 10 minutes or so of uh, publishable content um, from my rather hastily scrawled list of topics. 
Um, th- but first of all, I would like to just say, um, did you hear that the Procol Harum keyboard player, we co- just for those who haven't heard the story, we covered this last, last uh, I can't remember what it was, a few, a few issues ago, he was taking the guy to court and we were speculating about whether he'd take his organ into the old Bailey and all of that sort of stuff. And um, we all thought, no, there's no way this guy's going to win. He played the organ on pr- the original White Shade of Pale, which in fact was a rip-off of a Bach riff. And uh, he convinced it's the judge... G-string, isn't it? Yeah, he convinced the judge who actually has a, obviously a law degree and also a degree in music, um, that he was due 40% and he's just got it today. And not only that, but poor old um, the singer, what's his name? Um, Brooker. Brooker has uh, just found out he's got to pay um, a large part of the legal cost, which could go up to about half a million quid. So happy Ooh. Christmas. Nick, what was his reasoning for leaving it so long before claiming? Because it's a long time, isn't it? Because suddenly he's skinned. And he had a word with his lawyer. <laughs> I think what it was is that there was an allusion into the, the BBC News item that I've just seen, because it's literally just broken, um, I think was um, something to do with there's been a, a run on, on white a shade of pale ringtones recently. <laughs> so maybe he was, uh... as he was coming home um, from catching the bus home, we had to walk through the park where there were all these kids playing uh, Procol Harum ringtones and he just got, it just got to him and he just thought, sod that, right, I'm going to sort this out once and for all. And just it, it tipped him <laughs> over the edge. Well, the rich, the, the rich strains of, a, of, a, of sampled strings from a Mellotron beeping away from a Nokia. Lovely. That's yeah. enough to drive a man to court. You have to give that guy 40%. It's not retrospective. Right. It's from now on. Okay. So, I mean, but it's still got to be worth a few quid. And if, if uh, this bloke, as he said, is a 60-year-old uh, computer programmer who's obviously looking retirement uh, looming fairly largely, he's probably thinking, great, now he can afford his, uh, his little um, bungalow on Ibiza. So do you, what do you reckon, Duran? It was his nagging grandchildren going, go on, granddad, you can have him. Go on, go on. I want a new Game Boy. Game Boy? Oh, well, no, sorry, PS3. <laughs> a Wii. Wii. I want a Wii. Wii. I, suppose, I suppose that does bring us to the best and worst Christmas song title. I don't know whether this is, uh, this is going to fly, but I thought I'd throw it in there anyway. Um, I've actually got the title, Best, Worst, Christmas Song, and then absolutely nothing written underneath it. So I, I'm going to leave it to the floor for people to uh, put, their, uh, put their oar in. Can I start? Uh, I've got loads and loads of best worst Christmas songs, but I was—I actually was listening because I've got a friend, Sean Chenery, who is an engineer and sends out a Christmas compilation every year and has done so for the last seven years. So I've got something like a hundred odd Christmas tunes in my computer. As an aside, I think we should have a a, a discussion about Live Aid and who did and didn't need auto tune because I was listening to—I was listening to that. Um, I don't know, but, um, I thought it was a bit of a classic. Well, there's some very good vocalists on there, but there's some people who were, were supposed to be good vocalists, like Paul Young's performance on there is appalling. Anyway. I, I, think, I think that's a valid point. Um, I mean, I thought that was quite a good Christmas record, I mean, and a good charity record. I mean, it certainly set the marker. I mean, all the other ones that have been re-released since have been absolute pants, I think. so. What's the story? Um, there's, a, there's a connection here, isn't there? Because they the, the initial... Um, do, do, it's lifted from um, Tears for Fears, isn't it? Didn't they take that from Didn't they take that from the Hurting from the first track on the Hurting because they were in a hurry? And um, I'm sure there's a there's a Chris Hughes sort of local connection here. Oh well, maybe you're right, but I, I'm afraid I can't shed any light on it. I thought all the Tears for Fears sounds were just the emulator too. Anyway, I, I didn't realise they did anything original. 
That well, was catty, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, any any other takers for best and worst Christmas song? I've just done. I've just typed worst into Google, and I'd, I'd like to say I want a hop- hippopotamus for Christmas by Gayla Peavy's got to be the worst title. That's fairly poor. <laughs> Grandma got run over by a reindeer by Elmo and Patsy. That sounds great. Well, well, my name is Christmas. Christmas Carol. Oh dear. Is there a Crazy Frog song out this Christmas? Because that, that's got to be the worst, even though I haven't heard it. There is, yeah. I'm pretty sure there is, so that'll be the worst one. That's the end of the discussion, isn't it? Let's hope so. Hey, and happy Christmas to you two. Now, you too. Peace on Earth. That's a nice Christmas song. I don't remember that one. It's on the uh, everything, all that you leave behind, all that you can't leave behind. That one, you know. Now, but... The one with the Christmas record on it. Jesus Was Way Cool by King Missile. That's good. Shouldn't that be King Missile Toe? <laughs> Shall we, um, shall we ditch this topic? It's, it's rapidly it's rubbish. It is rubbish. I thought it might be, and I wasn't disappointed. It takes a lot to beat Wombly Merry Christmas, I think. Ah, well, now, there we go. Oh. Here's my namesake. That's written by a chap called Mike Batt, who every time mm. I ever meet anybody from the UK <laughs> says, Do you know, is Mike Batt any relation to yours? And I always say, no, he isn't. Is he managing or writing songs for... Uh, Katie, Katie Malua. He created her in the same way as he created Vanessa May. And, you know, if you look at the Vanessa May album, I think some, most of the tracks are, are written or, or Mike Batten has a hand in them. And then he had this group called The Planets, which was eight sort of Aryan-looking individuals, um, all sort of like youthful and, and, um, and fresh-faced. Um, uh, my but, second question was, did he get sued by the estate of uh, John Cage for doing uh, four minutes, 22 silence, you know, the, the, the track? And and he, I think he lost. I might be wrong on this. Though. Did he do a remix? No, he just he just recorded uh, four minutes and twenty seconds of silence. Four minutes thirty three. He lost a whole load of money. Four minutes thirty three. Right. He lost a whole load of money for it. Well, why? Wow. Presumably, I mean, it's just a cover version, isn't it? I mean, well, I don't know. In simple terms, mm. let me Google it while you're chatting. Does that, mean, does that mean that John Cage owns the publishing on all silence then? Um, maybe I should just fill people in on, on who Mike Batt is. Mike Batt is a kind of... Well, he's he's written a lot of songs for kind of t- um, classic British TV, children's TV, uh, and also kind of been a Svengali-like figure who kind of brings youthful um, classical-type singers and musicians into the pop arena. And uh, by all accounts, he's a very wealthy man and um, unfortunately isn't a relative of mine. Otherwise... Um I'd probably get a better Christmas present. Nick, can I read this out? Of can course. I read this out, Nick? I'm I've sure. just found it. Composer pays for a piece of silence. A bizarre legal battle over a minute's silence in a recorded song has ended with a six-figure out-of-court settlement. British composer Mike Batt found himself the subject of a plagiarism action, for the, the, including a song One Minute Silence, on an album for his classical rock back, The Planets, uh, The Planets, which is what uh, Dave's just been talking yeah. about. He was accused of copying it from a work by the late American composer John Cage, who wrote 4 minutes 33, which was totally silent. On Monday, Bat settled the matter out of court by paying an undisclosed six-figure sum to wow. the John Cage wow. Trust. Do you think that represented about 25% publishing? Because, I mean, if he just did a minute, then he wouldn't have been covering the entire thing. He just sampled a section of it. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Listen to this quote. Bat says, mine is a much better silent piece. Because <laughs> it's over much more quickly. God, only Sounds in America. Like an April that, Fool. That's classic. It does sound like an April Fool. Oh, it's wonder- absolutely true. He had to pay £100,000. Wow. That is um, it's amazing, isn't it? I wonder what sort of noise reduction he used on that. <laughs> Not enough. Yeah, clearly. Well, maybe he. Yeah, I mean, he should have used none at well, all because then it wouldn't have been silence. There would be some sort of random background noise that he could say, "You hear? That's how my yeah. differs." 
My dither, yes. My dither is different, yes. My noise shaping is better than your noise shaping. Well, anyway, I think we've we, we've kind of covered those, um, but that, that's a cra- that's a cracking story. Well, I actually made John Cage laugh once at the um, Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival um, when I was getting really bored of all this contemporary music. It was just dreadful, these people, you know, just like Dave says, slapping the sides of things. And um, and there was one uh, bloke up there who's who sort of had a dolly dealer with him. He was whistling and she was marching around him in a very contemporary way, I guess. And I just said, oh, for God's sake, what the f- is going on here with this old s***? And I, I mean, you heard this guffawing of laughter behind me because I said it a bit too loud, and I turned around, it was John Cage laughing at what I said. So I'm quite <laughs> proud of that. This is definitely being my top five most important keyboards of all time. Single most influential keyboard ever designed, obviously after the piano. Great for bass lines and leads and that sort of thing. It's a pretty cool synth. The top 20 greatest synths of all time. Coming soon from Sonic State. Okay, that was our top 20 synths trailer. Um, that's coming up in the new year. Uh, we're really looking forward to getting the uh, the final chart together. You can still vote on that. Um, we'll st- we're going to leave it open over the festive period. Um, all you got to do is go to sonicstate.com slash top 20 that's t-o-p 20 numerals and uh, vote for your top three synths uh, we'll be compiling the chart we've got lots of interviews lined up with various people uh, big names and producers and what have you uh, it's looking really good we're very excited we haven't got that many uh, any top many topics left but I, I thought as we were nearing the year end it was worth kind of mentioning any kind of software and hardware high and low points of the year um i mean for me i, I was going to start with software because i thought um why not because it's first in my list, not that there's any other reason. Um, but I was thinking that um, Sonar 6, although I'm not much of a user, seems to be in quite a, a development in terms of digital audio with all their kind of time domain stuff. And of course, um, Boot Camp um, for the uh, Intel Macs, which seems to have kind of revolutionised the way a lot of us are, are using our computers and um, and maybe more people. I mean, I know PC Pro in the UK used um, put that in as their their most revolutionary bit of software for 2006. But I think, you know, although it doesn't do anything other than allow you run XP on an Intel Mac, it's still fairly revolutionary. What does anyone else think? Uh, the best hardware for me was something that I, I missed out on. It was one of your shows. It was some guy messing around with this big screen, uh, this big uh, multi-touch sensitive screen sort of thing. Oh, uh, Jeff Hansen. Yeah, I just thought that, that completely blew me away. That's got to be the most exciting thing I've seen for years. And the best software was Oblivion, Elder Scrolls, which isn't music. Is that a game? John, how about you? Um, uh, I'm going to go with Live, Ableton Live, as best software for this year. Um, Live 6? Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I think, in general, the, quali- the, 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 sort of, the level of a lot of the main um, programming packages, is, is, is they're just getting far too confusing and don't work as well as they should. And um, I think, to be honest, Live kind of stands out as one that's easy to use and does what it says it does. It doesn't do an amazing amount, but it does it very well. And I think a lot of the other packages have been really disappointing. I've had a lot of the new releases this year, and I've just I've just looked at them and thought, can't you fix the things that don't work rather than just add loads of extra stuff? So that's my feeling on this. Oh, here, here, I would agree with you there. I mean, is there anything particular about Live Six that kind of really floats your boat? It's purely because I've got that. I think I've got the hang of it. You know, I've had it since I've had it since version four, but I hadn't really used it properly until about a year ago. And then once I started using it, I realised quite how sort of creative and easy it was. You know, to get things moving quickly. And I think that's the thing that makes it, that separates it from some of the other packages. Yeah, well, that's a fair comment. Okay, um, who wants to go next? How about Mark? 
favourite software this year has got nothing to do with music, actually. I do have a music one, but I've got a non-musical one, which is a program called Auction Hunter, which hunts for things on eBay, and you can set it to hunt for things every hour, and it sends back results to you and puts it in a huge database and lets you snipe things and everything. Yeah, I downloaded it earlier this year, and I have got so many buy-it-now bargains where people have put it on a little bit too cheap, or uh, end of you know end of auction bargains where I've been able to snipe things and get it just for a bit less than I wanted to pay for it. It's absolutely brilliant, auction hunter, brilliant. All right, okay, great. Um, musical, I would say Tom Herb's sound hack plugins are brilliant. I've uh, got those in my computer and been playing around with them, um, just purely because they can do things that you know I can't do in anything else. I think. Okay. All of that, you know crunching and messing around with um yeah well you describe them and that they do sound very interesting i haven't had a chance to look at them myself but i will check them out and then um hardware's got to be the line 6 <laughs> ux2 hey i knew you'd get a mention of it in Here there it somewhere <laughs> dave software probably ozone 3 which i've got into quite recently or um the art vista virtual grand piano i really love that it's kind of old and fluffy and very very curved is that um is that a new thing for for this year or is it just something you've discovered more of this year? Uh I really started using it in earnest just after NAM this year. Um but I love it. I just love it. It's it's just it's not bright, it's just nice and warm and kind of old sounding. And it's great cuz he splits up the presets into, you know, Diana Crawl and uh, you know various some um, Donny Hathaway stuff and all sorts of stuff like that. Ray Charles. So it's quite easy, you know, if you're building a track, an old Star Trek, you can just go, tell you what, I'll have the, uh, I don't know, the Elton John piano or the Beatles Let It Be piano. Oh, okay. That's that's and an interesting got, way of doing it. I've got a piano that sort of belonged to Elton John in my house upstairs. Um, Kawaii gave me an MP8 and it had Elton John written on the box because uh, my contact over at Kawaii had given it to Elton John first and apparently he hated it because it had a weighted keyboard and uh, so here's a piece of trivia apparently Elton John has pianos stored in every country in the world so that if he needs to play somewhere he pulls one of these pianos out of storage and none of his grand pianos have weighted keyboards they've all been altered oh so really is that because yeah. his, wow. his his feeble Doesn't little like fingers can't keyboards. quite manage it anymore I don't know <laughs> I don't think he's ever liked weighted keyboards, so he has special you, pianos. Oh, that's interesting. Are you sure about that? Because the, uh, the, the Studio 2 Bosendorfer is what he was his choice of recording in, in this country, in the townhouse, which is now, uh, well, has just changed hands. And I was reliably informed that uh, that's, that was his piano of choice, even though you won't see him playing, you'll see him playing a uh, Yamaha piano every time he's live on TV, obviously. But, but I think um, he, has his, he owns his own ones, doesn't he? And he has them shipped in when he wants to do something. And they've been altered somehow. They've had the weighting taken off them. They've got different. They've got a different action, definitely. Well, well, well. I mean, I haven't seen one. This is this is third party talk from. You know, <laughs> it's a complete hearsay. This is the reason. The reason why he. <laughs> it's the reason why he didn't like the Kawaii MP8, because the keys were too heavy. Right. Bless him. Poor little flower. Tell Elton John's lawyers to get to the back of the queue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Dave. Robinson, what are, what are you? What's your hard and soft moments of uh, two thousand and six? Well, I'd say actually, software. Um, the uh, the revelation to me of uh, the most recent thing that I've been very very impressed with was a function on Photoshop, <laughs> which um, which is, I guess is good if you're doing your own album covers. But on the latest version of Photoshop, there's a there's a function called Shadows and Highlights, 
don't know if you've seen that, but you've got a, if you have a really badly taken photograph, you press this button and it, it turns you into a genius. That was a real revelation to me. Not music software, but um, but in terms of from hardware, um, most recently we're going to see something launched in the new year from a US company called Zaxcom, and they have a recording microphone. There is one out there already, the Sennheiser HHB flash mic, which has got um, Sennheiser Evolution head on it, and uh, it's got a solid-state recorder in the bottom. You used one for your recent podcast of the Tonmeister show, didn't you? That's so. I did use it, and it was it was very good. Yeah, it did sound great. It was, it was it was great. Zaxcom have got their um, answer to the solution, answer to the to the this kind of recording um, problem, um, but theirs is theirs is different. And theirs has got sort of different, uh, it doesn't have any markings on the side, so it's, it's sort of very TV friendly. And it has an SD card, so you can, you can take it out and, and uh, put it into a, uh, a card reader, uh, rather than just you know, having to connect it up to a USB cable. But that, that, I think I'll be at the NAM show, and uh, that's something to, to watch out for, because that looks very exciting. I mean, what's the, and what's the mic like? Is it just aimed specifically oh, well, at doing people talking, or is it aimed at being able to... I mean, because I want something I can go and record sound effects and, you know, weird noises to put in well, my it's, computer. Well, it's a changeable sure head. So you can put, you know, one of the FM sure heads on there. Unscrew it and put a, put a head and whatever caps you like on there. I think it's, it's called the ZFR800, I believe. It's um, Zaxcom ZFR800. Yep, I was going to say, uh, the one thing I had this year which was, which was really good was the Liquid Mix, which is like a kind of hardware and software combo. It's like... Um, has anyone tried the liquid mix? I've, I've not. We had one in for review, but I've not had my hands on it personally, and I'm, I'm quite looking Have forward to it. you tried one, Andy Jones? Uh, yes, brilliant. <laughs> I'd just like to point out at this point that um, in, uh, in real life, Andy is a, 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 a PR consultant, and one of his clients happens to be Focusrite, so um, obviously he's... And doing very well for them as well, it really is. Is it? Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's also, what it, they've got the form factor right. You kind of look at it and just go, oh, I, I don't know what it does, but I want one. It does sound good. That's the one thing. I mean, about a lot of these, and it isn't that expensive, so that's the thing that really sold me on it. And the other, the one other thing I've had very recently, only last week, was from um, Rupert Neve's new range of outboard, and he's got a unit which is like a tape machine emulator. He's about 90 now, isn't he? He is. He's 80, in fact. was 80 this year. Um, and it's a it's a tape stereo tape machine emulator without the tape, so it's got all the it's got the record heads and the playback heads and all the yeah. pre and post emphasis of circuitry and all that stuff, and um, two tape speeds, and uh, that sounds really good. Is it like for gluing kind of mixes? You get that yeah, kind of half inch sound. Yeah, it's got like a seven and a half IPS and a fifteen IPS um, setting, and it, they're very different the sound of each of them, and you can drive the heads. Um, Input to the head, so yeah, still a very busy probably. guy, Rupert. Is he one of those guys that kind of lost the rights to use his name for a very long time? I was going to say you do. You do yeah, know you're case. supposed to call him. You have to call him Mr. Rupert Neve, because his um, his name was taken by the Neve Company, which is now Amos Neve, but they're moving back to calling it Neve. And um, he went to work for Amec and the Harmon Group. So um, he, in print, you'll see him referred to as as Mr. Rupert Neve. Um, and there's Rupert Neve Designs, which is his company. And then, of course, there's Neve, or AMS Neve, which is nothing to do uh, with him and hasn't been for several years. And of, people... course, and, of course, Focusrite, which he was set up in the first place. How do people lose the rights to their own name? It's like Yes. Do you remember the band Yes? They, they, they ended up being two bands, and there was one band of imposters going around who had the rights to the name. 
Yet the original lineup didn't even have the right. What happened there? That's rubbish. How do they? And Anderson, Bruford, Waitman, and Howe were wandering around, having to call themselves Anderson, Bruford, Waitman, and Howe, because there was another band of people who got the rights to the name. Yes. Well, look at Pink, Pink Floyd. You know, they lose Sid Barrett and they lose Roger Waters, but they still call themselves Pink Floyd. Yeah, or Duran Duran. They lost three of their members. It was down to Nick Rhodes and Simon Le Bon. They continued to be called Duran Duran. Yeah, or Sugar Babes. <laughs> what about Julie London? What about her? I, I'd Like You for Christmas by Julie London. That's my favourite Christmas song. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're back on that again. <laughs> oh, we've gone. We've left that way behind. There's a video on uh, YouTube, which I found on, uh, it was a music thing, Blogspot, um, which is a chap called John Campbell, and he's made a kind of guitar-type controller. I mean, I, I, only in the way that it looks like a guitar-type shape. And it's essentially a, uh, a Wacom tablet, which, uh, um, you know, one may think is not a very expressive device, but in fact it's got 1,024 levels of sensitivity in the pen, so it, it does have an incredible amount of potential expressivity, and he's kind of making another one of these Max SP um, MSP patches that just sort of waffles along in an ambient style. But, um, but it looks like it might be an avenue worth pursuing, do you not think? No, I don't. I think it's rubbish. I don't understand why these people keep making these things, these Max MSP things, and calling them musical instruments. Because he's just kind of warbling on one note. Because they I mean, have to do them know. as part of their coursework for these music, these music technology courses that are springing up well, everywhere. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, it's music technology. The problem they're, is education. Able, There's too much being, of it. <laughs> but they're being able, you know, it's, he's proving that he's a very clever programmer. He's not proving he's a very good musician, and he's certainly not proving that he can invent or design an interesting musical instrument. Can I just... Uh, no, you can't. Can I just point you at the title of this item, which was, How's This for Expressive Potential? Uh, well, it's not... It's bollocks that's what it is <laughs> imagine you wandering around italy in the 1700s mr stradivarius that bit of wood with those strings rubbish mate it's the same oh, no, it in the canal i think that, no i think that's brilliant i mean i think if you're going to make expressive musical instruments first of all they should do something new or interesting so pyrophones i like pyrophones they're quite interesting I'd rather watch someone playing one of those than someone wiggling around on a whack-on pad that he's made to look like a guitar. It just, it's Well, I, I mean, I take your point. Anybody like to uh, jump in and, and to balance that opinion? No. Oh. I think... <laughs> I just didn't like the way it sort of nailed the whole lot together, Homer Simpson fashion, and then strapped it round his neck like some kind of... You know, do you remember the old, uh, the old SH-101 advert? The old Roland SH-101 advert with a guy with a side parting and a big flary shirt playing this. It just reminded me of that. Why does he have to strap it on himself like that? <laughs> have, you see, have you seen Pyrophones? No, I don't know what they were. I was, I was so pretending cool. I knew. They're really, really cool. They're these big pipes and they fire Bunsen burners at the end of them and the fire going up the pipe makes a musical tone at the other end. So it's like a pipe so, organ, basically. A bit more Mad Max than Max MSB. Oh! And hey. hey. I think we'll cut that. Um, okay, well, I mean, that just leaves the ten gadgets that changed the world. Did anyone have a chance to look at any of those uh, of those items? What's number one? Yeah. I've not seen it. Number one is a, is a radio. It's an RCA Model 630 TS. Oh, That's no, a TV, was a, a television. It was, in fact, it's so old, I couldn't even see the screen on it because it was so tiny. I thought it was a radio. So it's... Actually, no, I'll, shall I start that again so I don't sound like a complete pillock? 
the worst thing about this list, Nick, was I actually remember using them all first time round. Well, oh. not all of them, obviously, but about five of them I did actually use, like the computer, the IBM computer. Yeah, I remember that as well. That was state of the art at our school, you know, and... Uh, no, but they t- they t- they're saying about those computers that people had them in their homes. I mean, the only people I knew who had them in their homes had stolen them from work. Well, they were. That, the IBM... That was really expensive, that computer. It was $3,000 in 1981. And I remember going t- to learn, um, you know, basic or something at, at, at college, you know, and we had a big folder and some cassettes that you'd put in, and I managed to get it to print Nick on the screen repeatedly, which was... Sort of, you know, it was it was milestone number four in a series of ten. So, you know, that was that was about as far as I got, really. I mean, I think this this is obviously nothing to do with music, really. I suppose the only thing that would uh, would perhaps uh, have any relevance would be well, the Sony Walkman at number eight. Mm-hmm. Did you know that 1979 it first came out? It's been going for 30 years and it sold over 350 million units, according to this chart. Is that just the Sony ones, or are they talking about pers- personal Walkmans? But whichever way you look at it, you know, just a sort of cassette Walkman, 350 million years. I wonder where the iPod is in, you know, MP3 players. There can't be anywhere near that yet. I wonder what happens to all the old cassettes as well. If people stop using Walkmans and cassette players, where are they all going? They're all in my attic. (laughs) Well, they're all in everyone's attics, aren't they? So at some point, everyone will go, oh, I don't need that anymore. And they're going to throw away tons and tons and tons of magnetic tape. I mean, what effect is that going to have on the environment? It'll probably destabilise the Earth's core and there'll be volcanoes. The the world will spin off axis because there'll be a big tape dump somewhere where all the kind of ferrous oxide field. is just sitting there and it'll wobble it off that... Well, it could be a it could be the, the subject for some sort of science fiction novel, perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> TV's a weird one as well. When you go back to TV, if you say that came out in 1947, was it? Uh, 1946 was the RCA model 630TS. Right. So kids from 1946 onwards have been watching TV. In other words, um, you know, the generation before that really didn't. So we're a whole sort of nation of TV-watching people. We've learned more about the world from TV than, um, than they did from books and newspapers and all that sort of stuff, I expect. So. I mean, I, I, would, I would submit that perhaps the telephone is probably the single biggest life-changing gadgets but uh, they've all kind of merged into into them into each other haven't they you can watch tv on your telephone if you're on th- 3g right you can take photographs on your telephone because and it's got a built-in music. camera you listen to the radio you've got a semi camera uh you've got a vcr because you can got play ga- video yeah, on your they got telephone. games on them uh, yeah, games, you yeah. your dinner. play your music personal computer you could pretty much it won't actually what? microwave food but it will microwave your brain for you yes exactly <laughs> oh, microwaves don't they so uh, your point is basically every single thing on this list has been pretty much replaced with a mobile telephone. A mobile phone, yeah. Good Lord, that is a, I hadn't thought of that. That is a frightening concept. The work of the devil, I tell you. Okay, well, I, th- I think we're kind of um, drifting, drifting into a natural end to this. So, uh, I'm, I mean, we're now heading off into the Christmas holidays. I hope everybody um, who's managed to participate this week... Um, has a restful and um, quiet holiday period. I know um, because Nam is coming up almost straight after Christmas, it's going to be quite hard for some of us, but I intend to spend at least three or four days doing very little apart from eating and um, watching telly or something, or going for walks. So um, I'd just like to say thank you all to participate, and we'll see you in the new year. Our next podcast is going to be on the 11th of January. Um, We're going to try and sort something out for Nam as well, but... uh, have to stay tuned for that one. So I'd just like to say, Dave Spears, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. And Andy Jones. Cheers, happy Christmas. 
Uh, Mark Tinley. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. And thank you. And John Musgrave too. Cheers. Okay, happy Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that's a wrap. What about Mariah Carey? What? Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you. I thought that was Julie London. No, no. Oh, well, never mind. He just told me it was Julie London. I'd like you for Christmas was Julie London. Oh, sorry. All I want for Christmas is you was Mariah Uh, Carey. I don't want her, that's for sure. Mariah Carey? No. Okay, so that's it for this week, and um, it's a wrap for the year, really. Um, It's been a good year, um, first year for the podcast. We hope that there'll be many more to come, and um, we want to thank everybody who's participated and helped us make it uh, the show that it is. So um, enjoy your Christmas holiday, whether you uh, celebrate or not, Uh, and um, don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can leave any messages, or maybe there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, or whatever. Just call us on uh, the Skype handle Sonic Talk. Or you can call us inside the US on 312-376-8089. If you're outside the US, uh, plus 1-312-376-8089. Also, in the UK, we've got a number, which is uh, plus 44-020-7870-8616. And if you're in the UK, it's just a straight London number, 0207-870-8616. And, of course, you can always email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Next year, we'll be coming back uh, almost straight into the NAM show. Starts on the 17th, that's in Anaheim, California. We'll be sending a great big team over there, so we're going to have lots and lots of stuff for you to see. So remember where to come first for all your uh, NAM news, sonicstate.com. Bye-bye. Sonic. State. Dot com.